Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Definitely taught me the value of whoever works the hardest and whoever is the best is going to get the rewards. Welcome to 94 and More. I'm joined by my co-host, Vic Law, and today our special guest is Charlie Hall. Charlie, thank you for joining us. Thanks for letting me be on this uh, fun podcast with you, too. <laughs> what have you been doing uh, these last these last few months? A whole lot of nothing, really. I've been uh, writing a bit and uh, auditioning here and there, but really, I've been up in Santa Barbara for most of it, um, just trying to kind of stay sane and uh, working out. I've actually been playing a lot of basketball because we have a hoop here, luckily. So that's been nice. I've been able to I've been able to keep my game up. So Vic, if you all need a ringer, I'm ready. What uh, what, yeah. what are uh, some things you're writing now? I'm writing. I'm I'm sort of in the process of writing. A, a bunch of stuff like I kind of go back and forth I'm writing a couple movies that aren't anywhere near like done and then I have a couple like, like a short film or two and then a couple tv shows nothing super concrete but the most the most like concrete thing I've done in terms of my career has been just auditioning for stuff which has also been super weird in all of this because it's all self-tapes you're you're recording yourself on your phone and sending it in you're not going into the rooms so that's been an adjustment but yeah I'm actually trying to uh, figure out and apply for my PhD. You're kidding me. And what? Either in marketing or business. I don't know, dude. But I, I want to go back to school and get my doctorate. Do you have a have, school in mind, Vic? I wanted to go to NYU. Um, oh, okay. To a different school. Let, let me see if I can pull some strings. <laughs> All right. That's so sick, Vic. I love that. I, I, should I get my PhD in something? Yeah, you got to get your master's. Um, but Charlie, on that topic, though, I... I'm curious what it's been like for you adjusting to the auditions, not being in person. How has that changed your approach? Well, I think it's, I think it's made me worse. I have to say, I don't I know. I'm not sure. I, I, I think that part of, there's a, good things and bad things. The good thing obviously is you can do it over and over again. I can film it. And if I don't like it, I'll do it again. The other good thing is I'm filming it with my parents, both of whom have a ton of experience acting and directing. And so they can give me notes. So that's really good. But the bad thing is, as I is because there's sort of that lack of pressure. The one thing I felt I had like, because I really don't think I'm all that good of an actor. But the the one thing I think I had like a, an advantage in uh, was I, I'm, I think I'm, I think I'm, I might be wrong. I could be disillusioned here, but I think I'm pretty good in a room um, because I think maybe my athletic background like went, it's sort of like... I, prepping for a game for me. It's something mm -hmm. I'm really used to. And it's like this one moment, you know, and if you don't get it right, you don't get it right. Um, and so the prep kind of goes out the window. Like I'm almost prepping while I film uh, the audition. Like I don't know the material quite as well because I don't feel the pressure to have it completely memorized. So I think it's hurt me, but is, who knows? Is there a pressure that you feel from by doing it in front of your parents who are so well established in that industry? Do you feel no. a need to meet their expectations? Not, not really. Some, sometimes I'll feel like slightly self-conscious watching it back with them, but, but mm -hmm. not, not really. Our like relationship, my relationship with my parents is so collaborative in general. Like they really help me in anything I do creatively. So I don't, I don't feel 
much pressure from them anymore. We've been doing this kind of stuff, not audition specific, but you know, I've been showing them my work since I was in like sixth grade. So I'm pretty used to it. I was going to say, well, Charlie, uh, if I remember correctly, you didn't really want to become an actor uh, so much. You want to be more of a screenwriter, right? What uh, kind of has pushed you into the acting world? Well, actually, the first thing I wanted to do was be an NBA player, which I still have high hopes for. I think in a couple of years, uh, they're going to be ready for me. I think my game is a little too evolved. I'm like Steph Curry. I got to come at the right time. I think that's what it is. I think they're not ready for you yet. I think you're right. You hit it they on the head. No, don't a, a don't six, fall in that. That's what that's what Jake has been saying for weeks. So don't fall into that. <laughs> I've been training too. for my debut for for a while now. Um, I'm just right. not ready yet mentally. So I'm J- holding myself Jake back. And I, get Jake and I in the pick and roll and f- find me a, find me two defenders in the NBA. They can stop that. You can't. You can't. Um, but 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 yeah, Vic. I I did not want to be an actor. I wanted to be a writer and I wanted to work in sports comedy. And then I did um, I did this web series that you guys. No, called Sorry Charlie with um with my friend and your well, guys' friend uh, Jack Price. I was in it, but yeah, that's right. You're in it. You have a, you have a good moment. You have a really good moment, actually. You sh- you showcase some really good comedic timing in it, actually. Well, Vic's um, acting career is next, so but he's busy I'm with his PhD. I, I'm I actually I actually fully believe that. I actually really do believe that. I think you'd be very good at acting if you ever did it, um, because you really are good. And sorry, Charlie. I mean, you don't have any lines, but you know, you have to time that walk away. You do it. What you do it right. But yeah, so that we did that. We wrote that. I loved writing it and I was in it. I was the lead and that got some pretty good um, attention. And from there, I sort of thought I need to make money. I I, I have to, I can't, you know, beggars can't be choosers in the entertainment industry. So I was like, if people like my acting, I might as well try it. I might as well try. And then I did a couple, got an agent, did a couple auditions and I was lucky enough to get two of my really early auditions. So that sort of set me on, uh, on course to be an actor. Although hopefully I don't really know what I'm at liberty to say. I won't say much, but hopefully I get to do some writing stuff uh, too. I get to combine them. In case you're unaware, your mom is Julia Louis-Dreyfus, who is one of the most successful, I would say, TV actresses in the history. Um, She is? I would say, right? Doesn't she have the most, isn't she tied for the most Emmys? I didn't even know that was my mom, to be totally honest. You said, in case you're unaware, I was unaware. Yeah. Has that affected how people view you when you come into the rooms for these auditions or when you reach out for, you know? I, I requested for it not to be like, before you go into an audition, you have um, like a, the casting director gets like a little bio on you, um, mm-hmm. your background, blah, blah, blah. And I requested for it that not to be in my bio because I just don't, I don't want them to pigeonhole me and or give me preference, blah, blah, blah. So I don't know, but, but I, but I assume, I mean, I'm not an idiot. I assume at least some of the casting directors know, or they do research or whatever it might be. And also some of them know me because they know my, they know my parents. Right. So like I've, I've gone into rooms and I've, there's been occasions where I've actually literally like known the person and they're like a family friend. Um, so that I think definitely, yeah, it affects it. I mean, I don't think it, um, gives me an enormous advantage because I think that the, well, that's not true. It probably does. But I think that it doesn't mm-hmm. land me roles because like at the end of the day, yeah. no one's going to hire me if I'm not good. You know what I mean? Because like totally. it's like in, well, in, a, in a movie, you're not you're not going to watch a movie and be like, damn, that guy, that person's bad. But I don't want to interject, Charlie, hmm. but don't you think and to some extent it does give you an advantage knowing the dude you're performing for? And, and let's just equate this because, you know, we have a sports podcast. Let's equate this to like basketball or any sport. 
let's say you're you're playing a game, right? And your your direct matchup is like a friend of yours, like someone you know. Does that not then make it easier to go out there and play? Like, rather than it rather than it's like some stranger. So I I, I, would, I would argue and say when you when you go in front of these casting directors and you're familiar with them, does that already give you more confidence knowing like okay, I could just be myself or I can you know I can truly be genuine in my acting. For sure. I think the looser you are in a room, the better you are, like when you audition. And if I know the person I'm auditioning for, I'm far more likely to be able to be myself. I think that's totally right. spot on. Although I wouldn't say I don't, there's no, um, there's no one we're so close to that. Like I, I know them well enough to where I, I see them all the time or anything like that. Yeah. But there's just people that I've, I've, there are people I've met, but even that yeah. is, um, and that hasn't, it's not like that happens every time, but that's happened for one or two auditions. And that, that yeah. definitely a hundred percent that helps. That's a big, big, big time help. I think it's interesting, right? When, when you were growing up playing basketball and you, I know your parents are very involved in your life, obviously. And whenever you play sports, they are on the sidelines rooting you on. Uh, was that something that you navigated as a kid and, and felt, you know, different because your parents were well known and, and they were sitting in the, the crowd and getting attention. Um, I, I th it was something I was uh, pretty ob oblivious to. I think for for at least the beginning of kind of my sports career. But then when I started to get good and I started to go to camps and be on high level AAU teams and you know have colleges looking at me, blah blah blah. I think that m more than I didn't mind like people wanting to take photos with with my mom or or my parents or like remarking on it. But I think that I. At the same time, I wanted to make sure, I think it gave me like in a weird way, it gave me like a little bit of a chip on my shoulder because I, I felt this sort of, I think, there because they're famous. Like I'm actually, like I, I wanted to make sure everyone knew I'm, a, I'm actually quite good at basketball. You know what I mean? Like I'm, I was never the best kid at camp, but like I, I, I'm good at basketball. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I played it my whole life and I played division one, blah, 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 blah. And uh, so I wanted to, I think that was the thing I wanted to make clear because I'm sure a lot of people saw that and they were like, oh, pe he's probably like on that team because you know his parents are famous and they like that or blah 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 so i wanted to make sure that i, I... So, to that point what were those conversations like you mentioned recruiting and aau right when you have a conversation with the coach did they bring that up to you at any point or was it different for each situation most of them didn't funny enough coach collins did uh which is which is funny because i ended up going to northwestern and coach collins was one of the only coaches that brought that up because that was part of his because I didn't get a scholarship to Northwestern, but I, w I was a prefer I didn't have to earn a spot when I got there. like I was on the team. Like I met with Coach Collins before. I think that's called a preferred preferred walk on. Walk -on. I yeah, so I so I met with him. I had a recruiting meeting. I, I went and I met with them and blah blah blah. And he one of the fir first things he said to me was that he knows what what it's like growing up with a, a famous parent because his dad was Doug Collins. And he mm -hmm. sort of uh, made that connection, which I found pretty endearing. Actually, I, I like that a lot that he said that. And was that, but most most places did not. And if they did remark on it, it was uh, in passing. It was not something that they like harped on. Um, but yeah, C Coach Collins did. Coach Collins was definitely not afraid to bring that up. But at the same time, I mean, he was also, I think, because he knew like how I felt with all of that. I think he, he was also very adamant in that meeting about, listen, we've seen you play. We, we, you know, we called you and we want you on this team. 
because of you, not because of your parents, which I also liked. Because it would have been one thing if he was just like, hey, I know what it's like to have famous parents. Anyway, want to play for us? But he, I think he, he explained it in a way that I, I really liked. So when you made that decision to go to Northwestern, was that at all a challenge in your mind? Because as you just mentioned before, you wanted to make sure people knew you were playing on that team or performing at a high level because it was something that you were good at, not because of your parents. But then you made a decision to go to their alma mater school. Yeah. Was that at all a, a struggle for you? It was. I was definitely worried about, and it definitely, I mean, that was probably, I think probably to this, I mean, I never really played, so I'm sure still people think like my parents like paid to get me on the team or some shit. Like, I don't really know, but regardless, my, my, my mindset did your, was, did your parents pay to get you on that team? Yeah, we took some, actually, I came in as a <laughs> rower. I, uh, we took some photos on a row bike. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I was definitely worried about that. I, I think the decision to go to Northwestern was mostly that Northwestern was, even though they didn't offer me a scholarship, it was the, it was the highest level mm. I could play at. So I sort of thought that might offset the, the idea that my parents went there. Like people might be like, well, his parents went there, but also like, damn, that is a big yeah. 10 basketball school, you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, and so it was sort of a, that was a little bit of a give and take, but it was the only power conference school I had the opportunity to play at. Tell yeah. me, ask you a question. Do you think? Do you think, as their son, like you, do you feel like you have some sort of obligation to be excellent? Like, do you feel like a pressure on yourself and whatever it is that you do, whether it be basketball and going to a Division One, or acting and and being a high level actor, to be you have to be the best because your parents have excelled at what they did. Um, good question. I don't. N no, I don't. I don't. I don't feel a. I don't think I feel a pressure to be excellent. I think I feel, and I think it has nothing to even do with their pedigree. I think it just has more to do with the fact that they're excellent parents. I, I definitely feel encouraged and pushed to, to be excellent. But I think that if I, mm -hmm. if I end up falling short of that, I won't feel like a failure because they are such success stories. I think that yeah. if I was doing, I think that I would feel more like a failure if I was, if I was doing something that I didn't love. You know, which which I think they've sort of hammered home because right. it comes the acting and the writing and the basketball, all that comes pretty naturally. I mean, I'm sure that the fact that I'm in entertainment is is because I've been around it my whole life, so I've been very influenced by it. But it really is something I I love, and same with basketball. Like it's just, basketball is something that is really near and dear to my heart. So I think that's more important, and that probably speaks to their parenting. But yeah, no, I don't feel I don't feel it. Pressure. So you have you have two like let's say you have two pills right you got a red pill and a blue pill you take the red pill and you're an NBA star you take the uh -huh. blue pill and you're an A list actor uh -huh. which one are you eating the, easily the NBA star I think at the end of the day and that's why I'm I'm hoping to at the end of the day unfortunately which it's kind of like it's sort of a sad thing when you think about it the thing I really actually want to do is play basketball I'm just not good enough. Like, I'm just not like, I don't, I, I, I think I have it mentally. I think I, I think I could, if I was better, Right. I think I would be able to work hard enough, but I'm just not good enough. I've reached, it's like, I don't know if you've ever read the sports gene, that book by David Epstein, but it's really interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I reached my, I pretty much reached my pinnacle. I think that maybe if I didn't get back surgery, I, I could have gotten a little better than I did mm -hmm. maybe even, but only marginally. I think I really did reach my basketball peak and and I'm still there, by the way, in my fucking prime. Like, 
you know, just being in the NBA and, and, and seeing it. And it's funny that you say, like, you, you feel like you've reached your peak. Like, just like watching, right, and being around basketball and seeing other people play, I really do feel like there are people in the NBA – I think this is just a fact. Like there are people in NBA that are much more talented than some of the like the people that have solidified themselves in the NBA. And I don't know whether that's like you have character issues, you weren't given the right opportunities, or like in a case that you already have stated, like you're not talented enough. I I really do feel like there are there are people who just have the mental fortitude or who are blessed with like the opportunities. Because, you know, you have your outliers, like you have your LeBrons and your Westbrooks, the Giannis's, like you have the guys that like you couldn't like make them out of clay if you wanted to, right? You can't like duplicate right. that. But then you have like the guy that like just like figures it out, like in, in some aspect along the way. Like he either outworked all the people that were around him. He was put in the right well, place. Well, that's what I was going to ask. Is, is the, so if you see guys like you might see guys that have potentially more talent than other guys but the guys with more talent for some reason aren't succeeding at the same level do right. you do you see a stark like a, a, do you see a difference in in the work ethic well charlie it, it's just weird because like and, and i would say work ethic to a certain extent right because when people get to the nba some people aren't working to get better anymore they're working just to maintain what they like what they have uh-huh. you know, they think like you know like, what, what you know i'm i'm as good as I can be, like I now I just need to keep producing. And then you have the right. guys who are like, no, I want to get better and better, you know, like that are still striving for a lot. But I would say like the biggest thing that I've learned this year is how big mental toughness and confidence are. Like there are so many dudes in the NBA that like couldn't do a ton of stuff that like if you were like, I bet you can't do this, like they probably couldn't. But because they believe in themselves to such like an umpteenth level, they're successful. And because that they've they've drilled and like gotten through and persevered through all the BS and politics and everything that it takes to be in the NBA, they're successful. You know, like I, I can't even imagine how many of the guys on the bench that might be more talented than some of the guys that play up top, like in in between their ears that hasn't clicked yet that they're better or it hasn't clicked yet of what they need to do to actually get on the floor. That's so interesting. That, that I mean it makes it, it it makes sense and that's definitely applicable to more stuff. I mean, confidence mm-hmm. is confidence is really it, it's like ninety five percent of the battle. It, it really is. is. So, it's so crazy. It is. It's, Charlie, it's gnarly. Charlie, I want to transition back to the early days of you playing basketball and and kind of pick your brain on that. You know, why was the basketball, glory days? The, well, we're talking we're talking early days. The early days. Is that when you and Jake mm-hmm. played together, or no? No, we're talking before we played together. Um, when you first started playing basketball, what was it about the sport that, you know, you felt was so special? I think there was a, there was part of it. I mean, I, I think I've told you guys this before, but part of, part of it was super just like nat- natural. I think there's videos of me when I was a year old, year and a half old. I can't really conjure many, you know, actual thoughts in my brain other than like I'm hungry and it's time to cry or something. I, and I'm, and I'm dunk I'm like dunking on a little tiny little baby tykes hoop and I'm getting the ball and dunking it. And then it rolls back to me and I dunk it, it rolls back to me. I dunk it. And it's like a two hour video. Like I, I don't stop. So part of it, I was just fascinated by the sport even in those years. But then I think as I, as I got older, it was, a, it was especially as a kid that, and I think this is actually the case with a, a lot of, 
people that end up playing basketball either professionally or in college. I was, I had, I was really kind of jittery and it's for me was the best way to get that out. Like I was, you know, you're sprinting around, you're catching a ball. It's also really, it's also like physical and fun. And then I, and then I got tall and then I sort of, uh, and I think that was fun for me. So I, it was all these aspects of, it came naturally to me. I was good at it. Um, and it felt good. It just felt good to, to, to excel at something when I was, you know, five. Um, and I, and I, and I loved the pace. A lot of, a lot of sports were too, like, I didn't like soccer because, uh, too much running. Yeah, you're too much. You, you, too much well, running. I mean, it, not even too much running. It's just like, you're doing so much running. And then the final score is like zero, zero. It's like, what are you kidding me? I just ran for like, three hours and no one scored. You know what I mean? It's like, God, but, <laughs> but basketball is like so fast. It's so fast and you're scoring yeah. and there's things happening. And I think for me as a, as a kid, I, was really really drawn to that so that was kind of a long-winded answer but yeah that's i think those are the things that drew I me know, to basketball. i know you mentioned before when we've talked about how you loved basketball because it's a meritocracy and yeah you know like you said about your parents you know it, if you can't perform you're not going to get the role and it's the same thing yeah. with basketball if you're not the best player or if you're not the best version of yourself and you're not able to perform on the court you're not going to stay in the game you know, the coach yeah. is going to take you out. So do you think that there was some level of that that kind of challenged you and pushed you that made you 100%. like it more? I think, yeah, 100%. I think that when I started, you know, taking it seriously beyond YMCA games every Saturday where, you know, mom brings snacks at the end kind of deal and started going to clinics and really, you know, working working on it, I I, I saw, I started to see, oh, wow, you know, that kid is better than me. And that's why he's playing more than me or, and that's why he scored on me. Whereas in other aspects of, of my life growing up in with my parents and also just growing up, like, you know, Jake, like growing up in West side LA where mm -hmm. everyone's parent is someone and everyone knows someone, blah, blah, blah. There's a whole lot of politics involved. Whereas in basketball, it's, it's, it's slim to none there. And, and I, I loved that. I mean, I, I even love to an extent, I like not, like my, in my ninth grade year, I didn't make varsity. I was on JV and I, and I was during all the tryouts and stuff. I was really trying to make varsity and I didn't make it. And I was in a way sort of psyched on that because I was like, I was like, Oh, this really is. Yeah. I was like, this really is something that if you're, if you are, if you hit a certain level, you get to go and be on a certain team. And if you don't, then you can't be on that team or then you can't, be on the starting lineup or then you can't play that position blah 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 so, so when and you, then i did and then i worked harder and then i got moved up to varsity for for the playoffs and so and so and then that felt really good and it kind of it, it definitely taught me the value of whoever works the hardest and whoever is the best is going to get the rewards so when you were playing the in the earlier leagues like the little leagues and you yeah. would play somebody that was better than you and let's say you got beat up on defense and and you just felt you know down after the game what was your response? Mm -hmm. How did you move forward? I, I well, my honestly, like when I was young, my first response was to throw a absolute fucking shit fit in the. Car. I can imagine. <laughs> I, I, my parents always tell me they would play rock paper scissors if they drove separately because, like, if they were both at work and came to the mm -hmm. game or something, they would play rock paper scissors for who had to drive me home because I would I would be freaking out in the car. That was my first thing, but then. 
I like one of the things, and I guess it didn't really work because I still don't really have a right hand, but like one of the things was right around the time when people started actually playing defense, maybe when I was 10 or something, there was this kid uh, who figured out like midway through the game that I was left-handed and I had absolutely nothing in my bag other than a hard lefty drive. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like nothing. And so like, if you take away that, but, but that was super effective. I must've been averaging like 30 points a game off that. And, but then he figured that out and he started forcing me. Right. And I couldn't, I like could barely dribble with my right hand. Man, Charlie, and, what and so league were you in, man, talk about 30 points a game. What are you dude? Are you kidding me, Vic? I was an absolute killer, so- bro. Bro, all where, right, maybe not 30 a game, but 20, what 10, and 10. I was like nine. What age was I was it? like nine or 10. Oh. Like nine. Yeah. I was, I was, Vic, way, yeah. I was such a multifaceted player too. I was passing, I was rebounding, everything. But anyway, wait, wait, but then wait, I said, so then oh, I, no, I actually wait, just wait, think. Wait, wait, wait. Because mm. Jake was your teammate. And Jake, let's just go ahead and debunk mm-hmm. something right here. When Charlie got to Northwestern, Charlie said he was one of the greatest basketball players in Crossroads history. Jake that's not true. true. I said Sharif O'Neal. That's not true. I said I said I, I said don't put any records. You were one. I said you were one of the. Oh yeah, that's true. Jake, is that true? I mean, it depends on what the history of Crossroads basketball is. I, I mean, I don't know if anybody really pays attention to that. All I can speak to on that, there was I had a teammate one time, and he had like twenty five points in the first half. And our coach, I think Charlie was on the team for this. He might not have been, but our coach originally held the record or something for points in a game. And he benched the guy for the second half for no reason other than his ego. It was KK and, uh, and, um, and he kept claiming he had the record, but it seemed fuzzy. So the record book. KK um, doesn't have the record, dude. That's what I'm saying. I know. So what I'm saying is I don't really know if there's actually a book of crossroads history, you know, basketball. So I, I can't speak to that point. If Charlie wants to make that claim, he can make the claim. I well, can't I don't say think that. I'm, I don't think I'm top. Claim, I don't think I'm. I can't say that I Jake, you're, can Jake, compare you're him to anybody. Question, though, Jake, you're ducking around the question. Jake's being a politician, but here's what I'll say. Here's what I'll say, Vic. <laughs> here's what I'll say. I, I am uh, in Crossroads history. There's only X amount of players that played Division One basketball. Probably no more than 15. Okay? I think it's more than 15. I, I think it's more than no 15. No chance. I think Dude, so. Dude, on the Baron Davis State Championship team, that won twice. Do you know how many players played Division One? Two. Uh, that's it. Two. Yeah, him and Cash. That's it. I don't know. I think there's more than that, but we're getting <laughs> off topic. And we're really getting off topic anyway. Let's just stay with the fact, Charlie. You had a successful high school basketball career, and you went on to play in a Big Ten uh, league. So I'm a top can... fifteen. I'm a top fifteen Crossroads basketball we'll let player. You, okay, we'll, we'll let you have it for now. Someone can maybe fact check this. Um, but Going back to your story of little league domination with your left hand, when you got uh-huh. forced to your right hand, what happened? Yeah, so I so I got forced to my right, and then I uh, and then I went home and I w- started working on my right hand, and I was dribbling with my right all day long, and I was uh, snack and lunch at school every day. I would take a ball, dribble with my right hand, and then I played that guy again in the championship, and I beat him because I could drive right now a little bit. And I still wasn't, I don't even think I was finishing with my right hand, but I think I was like driving right and then, you know, finishing with my left because I was like nine. Um, but, and that was, a, that was a moment for me that I still remember. And there was such an appeal about that kind of, um, 
work ethic to me in, in your, basketball. Was, yeah. Were your parents on you at all about that? Because I know from my experience, you know, I developed my own work ethic, but I also had a father who was like the first person to check me when I got off the court or, you know, field or whatever sport I was playing. I was like, hey, you made a mistake and I'm going to call you out on it the second you like take your mind off of it. Was that something your parents did with you or was it more they let you figure it out for yourself? I think they, it was a little bit of both. I think that they pushed me to, it, the thing that, the, the jump that I made was joining leagues that weren't at the Palisades Recreation Center. You know what I mean? Mm. Like it wasn't, it wasn't a bunch of kids from Crossroads and Brentwood that were, I was the tallest and blah, blah, blah. The jump was when I started going outside of West LA and playing with a bunch of kids that were actually good. And I think that they help, helped me make that push. And they also found um, the best clinics for me to go to and the best coaches and the best trainers. And so in that way, I think they were pushing me. But they, I don't think they were necessarily on my case. Like I definitely – I didn't go – the one thing they did do is once I really started taking basketball seriously, we I would have my friends over who didn't take basketball super seriously. I mean they played and stuff, but they had no college aspirations. And we would lower the hoop so that we could all dunk. This was in like seventh and eighth grade. And my parents would uh, eventually like banned that. That was like the one thing I remember pretty specifically like, about them like getting on my case because they were like, it's bad too much for your, your ego. It, they were like, it's bad for your game to be practicing like shooting on a seven five hoop so that you can dunk. And, and I was, I, I was pretty, that was like the, that's the only concrete thing they did. But other than that, they never forced me to work out or anything like that. Uh, that was pretty self-motivated. So then, okay, so once you transitioned to high school basketball, when was the point where you felt you made a jump into really, you know, finding yourself and, and your game and, and getting comfortable on the court? I made my biggest jump probably late, late my junior, yeah, late my junior year into into my senior year was when I felt really comfortable. I've, I, I, I've, I've always felt that I understood the game really, really well and can watch it and understand it. But I think I made the biggest jump. And that's right around the time because I was getting like in 10th and 11th grade, I was getting recruited by strictly division three and division two programs. Um, and then I made that jump. I felt where the game slowed down for me a little bit, which is, I assume what's going to happen to me in the NBA after a couple of years of playing. Cause it's going to be fast for me at first, but of course. you know, when I hit 30, 31 years old, I, I'm going to find my stride. Um, as long as we play zone D, I can't guard anyone in the NBA, man to man, but that's all right. Um, but yeah, I, I was recruited by D twos and D threes. And then I felt like this game slowed down for me. I was really becoming a good passer. Um, and I was becoming a really effective rebounder. And I, I was always a pr fine scorer. Like I I've never been excellent at scoring, but I've also never been terrible. I can get a bucket, but I can't take over a game. Um, and, uh, and then th that was sort of aff affirmed by uh, the different schools that started to recruit me. I started getting uh, talked to by Ivy Leagues and some low D1s and some mid-majors and no power conference teams until Northwestern, though. And what was that recruiting process like for you? Totally different depending on the level, which I, which I found hilarious. Like at the D3 level, when they were recruiting me, I honestly felt like I was Zion Williamson. Yeah. They, they, I, I felt like LeBron James. They were telling me I'm going to get there and I am going to 
they're going to run the system around me. Gonna, I'm going to play every time. and ten, basically. Exactly. Yeah. Like you are going to be. They, they were showing like they they were showing me videos of the best players in in D three, and they were like, "This is going to be you. This is the system we're going to run for you." Literally, they were. And I was. I I felt really cool. And then I would go to a you know a low level D one would talk to me, and they'd be like, "We think you'd fit really well in our system." And then I go to a mid major, and they'd be like, "We think with a couple years of development, you could you could potentially do something really good for this school." And then Northwestern was like, "If you come here, we'll let you be on the team." <laughs> you know, so it was like totally different as as I went up and up and up. So then, why did you end up choosing Northwestern if you originally wanted to play basketball? What was it about that school that kind of helped you make that final decision? I think it was this, it's sort of the same reason I, I went outside of my little West LA bubble. I was like, am I really going to feel like I've pushed myself to the limit if I go to a D3 where I know that when I get there, I will be, I don't think I would have immediately been like the best player or anything, but I know that I'll, I'll, I'll be able to make an impact year one. And I don't think that that would be pushing myself. I don't think I'd be surrounding myself with the best talent I possibly can. And so I thought about Northwestern and I was like, realistically, I was like, I don't think I'm talented enough to necessarily play here, but I do think I'm talented enough to be a practice player that can actually help. And I think that I will emerge a better basketball player as a result of it. And so the end goal for me was how can I become the best basketball player ever? And the answer to me was surround myself with the best players I can. And that opportunity was Northwestern. And then there was also the school aspects because Northwestern also had a really good film program and I wanted to study film and they, it was a great school. So it, it also was, that helped, you know, cause I was also considering UCSB. That was one of those ones where I was like, maybe two years in, three years in, I can play and that's mm-hmm. pretty high level. But in terms of the school, it's a good school. But Northwestern is a, is a far superior school. So that's kind of, that was the difference. From, from my understanding, and I think Vic can speak more to this since he was in the locker room with you, you became the locker room guy. You became the good teammate who motivated everybody and made jokes and kind of kept everything light when things were intense. How did you find that role on the team? I sort of fell into it. Um relatively natural. I mean, I was really lucky because I think that I was lucky enough to have a, a teammates that I felt um, respected me and respected my game and like understood that I was a good basketball player. I think it would have been one thing if it, if I went to another school and the guys were assholes, but I felt really comfortable immediately. Um, other than Vic, Vic was an asshole the whole time, obviously. Um, um, but so I sort of, I stepped back that first year. I was mostly observing. I was just trying to figure out what can I, what the hell can I do that's going to help these guys? And one of the things that emerged from that kind of analysis was, fuck, there is so much pressure at this level of basketball. Uh, and, and especially at this program where there at the time there was kind of this, monkey on everyone's back about, wow, we're, we've never made the tournament. We're the only power conference team that's never made the tournament. So there's this always this added pressure. It's a really hard school. There's just a lot of shit going on for these guys and for me. 
but even more for the guys that, you know, on game days, they have to like really fucking, I mean, it's, it's up to them whether we win or lose. And so I was like, well, maybe it might be nice if, you know, I can make them laugh every now and then. And that kind of goes a long way. And I don't think it, you know, I obviously, I wasn't, or at least I tried not to be like super silly in practice or anything like that, but uh, keeping things lighthearted on the road. And when things weren't going well, we had a lot of ups and downs while we were there. I mean, and Vic, even Vic had even more than me. Cause the year before I came, they were, they had a 10 game losing streak. And you know, yeah. our, our first year we had losing streaks and blah, blah, blah. And it's just tough to, that sucks. It's like, even apart from the losses, just there's, that's not super happy. It's just not a happy environment. No, sure. How could it be? Exactly. Especially when uh, you're not playing too. Like I can only imagine, right. you know, traveling and, and all the, the hardships that come with playing sports uh, and having to deal with all that while also on top of that, not playing. Um, yeah. It's definitely an adamant, you know, to you and, and what you had to go through and it's much respect. Well, thank you. Well, if it wasn't for you, we wouldn't have made the tournament. So there you go. We both did our thing. I made jokes and you, you played well. <laughs> right. And then, so once you guys made the, the tournament for the first time in school's history, uh, you were featured on CBS, right? You did a little spot for CBS interviewing mm-hmm. some of the guys in the locker room. Can you tell us a little bit more about how that happened? Yeah. I, um, so we were really on a roll. Everything was going well. I don't think I would have done this if we had been, it was a happy, it was a super positive time for the team. I don't, I don't, it wouldn't have been right to do this. I think if like things were different, but at the big 10 tournament, we had just beaten Rutgers and we were, we had beaten them by a ton. And so I got in the game at the end, I was in for like a minute or so. And I was wide open on the wing, wide open. And Nathan Taphorn didn't pass it to me. He shot oh, he a three. And yeah, my, he, just looked you off. he looked me off. He like, yeah, he like saw me, saw I was open. And to this day, it's fun because I didn't get to shoot it. So I can say I 100% would have made it. Um, because you simply can't tell me I'm wrong because it never happened. Um, <laughs> but so then when we got, so then everyone, uh, probably spearheaded by, by Vic, um, was just giving Nate tons of shit in a, in a fun way, but giving him shit. And so the, I saw the Northwestern media team had like a camera and a mic. And I was like, can I interview Nate? And so I interviewed Nate and I made him apologize to me and they posted it on YouTube and it was really funny. And it ended up not going viral, but it, within the sports community, it ended up getting a lot of views. And so when we made the tournament, uh, CBS and TNT, reached out to the media team and they were like, Hey, can he do that again? But just interview everyone. And I was like, you know, obviously I, I love doing shit like this. So I was like, hell yeah, I can fucking do that. And we did it. And then luckily enough, we won a game in the tournament. So I, I interviewed everybody after the win too. So it was, I, I got to do two spots, both really fun. I don't, I, I definitely interviewed Vic, but I don't think any of our, our conversation made the final cut that CBS made. Cause we weren't, I wasn't in charge of the editing. Nope. I wasn't but, uh, probably cause yeah, well, that makes sense. You're also ugly. You're not very camera friendly. <laughs> now you guys have a chance to do that on this podcast. You get to interview each other. So maybe oh, we're yeah, making it's up. All, for it's that. coming. Yeah. It's coming full circle and nobody has <laughs> so, to see Vic's face. Cause it's a podcast. This is really, there you go. Great. There uh, you go. Maybe uh, that's why it's <laughs> 
Fudge out. <laughs> no, but that's not true because now Vic is on our TVs, so we have to see his face. That's true. And for well, everyone listening, well, Vic is a very handsome guy. He's very handsome. Well, Charlie, that's why it, I can't Charlie, be able to honest, make that though, joke. Also, there are only two blue checks in this podcast. That is absolutely true. <laughs> that is absolutely there are true. Only two. <laughs> that I'm is hold so over, true. Until... Until the day I die well, or until Jake is verified, I'm going to hold it over there. I mean, well, Vic, I, Vic, I, we should make our own podcast called the Blue Check Pod. No, for hey, sure. You're talking Vic to someone who has them. a Blue Check account, so let's chill with that. Okay, <laughs> Bristol Studio. So let's let's show some respect before you start yeah, getting carried yeah. away. <laughs> that doesn't count. Now let's get back. Account. Let's get back <laughs> on track. Um, So, Charlie, do you see yourself doing more – entertainment that kind of crosses over into sports i really hope to that's the goal i mean and also a lot of that i mean if i'm ever able to become a person that can write and produce and direct stuff that i make um then i definitely want to it just because the sports world is the world i know most of the things i write have to they have to do with sports they're not always like about a sports team but there's almost always a person, a character that, you know, is on a college basketball team or is a coach or, or plays soccer or whatever it might be there. There's always sports involved. Um, so hey, I Charlie. definitely hope I can sort of merge that. Yeah. Can you uh, give the, uh, the faithful kind of an example of what a sports comedian is? Like, is there anybody into like today's world that has a show that kind of focuses on sports comedy? Well, I'm trying to think. I, I, I don't think there's anyone that I maybe, but I mean, I, my, in terms of my favorite, like sports related comedians, I really like Bob Mennery. I think he's pretty funny, but I don't think there's anyone that sort of does, or at least right now that sort of does what I would be doing just uh, shows that have sports. I mean, I'm, I, I think that like the closest thing, not entirely in terms of vibe, but in terms of the kind of stuff, what I mean in terms of like associating sports with the thing is like shows like the league. I don't know who wrote right. the league. Um, mm-hmm. but it's, you know, that's about that, that has a he- that's heavily about sports. It's about other yeah. stuff, but obviously the people that wrote that, they know they're huge football fans. Like it's very apparent, very clear. And, yeah. and like, that's the kind of stuff I think hopefully I'll be able to do actually. No, that doesn't really count. But like, even like, even characters like Nick Miller from new girl, I don't know if you guys watch mm-hmm. new girl. It's I, like, new I love that show, but he, show. it's awesome. And, but even he, like he's from Chicago and like one of his, one of his things is that he's like this enormous Cubs fan and he's this huge Bulls fan. He's a Bears fan. And he's, yeah, he's everything. Right. He's a Bears fan. Exactly. I'm not sure the Bulls who watch the show. Oh, that's right. You hate the Cubs. Uh, well, uh, excuse me. He's a huge Cubs fan too. In fact, he claims the meanest thing, anyone, anything, the meanest thing anyone's ever said to him was when Megan Fox's character says she hopes the Cubs win the World Series while he's in a coma. So he is a Cubs fan. All right, buddy. Um, but uh, but yeah, stuff like that. Just kind of intertwining the two, intertwining comedy and sports. Other than you making your NBA debut in 10 years, how do you see basketball serving a purpose in your life going forward? Definitely in the content I make, like I was saying. And then I also, even to this day, I mean, not during COVID, but before there was a virus that fucked up the whole world. Um, I still play basketball. I would play basketball. I I still had a trainer even like as if I was still a college basketball player. 
I had a trainer three times a week and I played in games uh, three or four times a week. So I, I literally played every day. So in that way, I think it serves as almost, I've, I've never been a guy that goes to therapy or anything like that, but it serves as my complete release, I think. And it's really, really um, cathartic for me and therapeutic. So in that way, I think I hopefully will be able to play it uh, for years and years and years and years until I, until I'm the old dude at the gym that, that can't move, but he's got a hell of a hook shot. You know, those dudes. Yeah. That's uh, talking like, game. Back door, back door. Exactly. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. They're staying in the post the whole time and they're tossing yeah. the, the passes like kind of behind their neck. Yeah. And part of it's cause they want to be fancy, but the other part is cause they got, they have like neck issues. So they can't turn their neck the whole way. It's like, it's a double edged sword. Uh, so hopefully I get to play it the whole time. Maybe, uh, if my acting career pans out, I'd I love to drop like 40 in the celebrity all-star game. That'd be amazing. Uh, Cause I don't really care much about being a celebrity, but that would be cool. Um, but yeah, just playing it. And then uh, do you have anything you want to ask us before we get out of here? Yeah. I have a couple questions for both of you. Well, but first of all, Vic, do you guys have a, do you guys have a game today? We play tomorrow against the Lakers. So my question for you is when you're on the court with NBA players, do you ever think to yourself, holy shit, I'm on the court with NBA players? No, because I'm an NBA player. I know, but you know what I mean, though, because you've been, well, you're new to the NBA. So like, do you ever, like, are you ever, I mean, I don't know who was on the court when you scored your point, but even like when you're in practice, are you ever Patrick like, Patterson. Patrick Patterson. But, I mean, sure, but even like when you're in practice, are you even, are you ever like, holy shit, like that's Aaron Gordon. That's like, that's, that's Aaron fucking Gordon, like perennial all-star Aaron yeah. Gordon. When I was uh, in training camp, when I first got into the NBA, you know, it was uh, like kind of surreal being out there with all of them. And then when I, right. like, you know, I started playing well, he started mixing guys up and I was in the first group. It was just like, you know, I was never getting the ball like ever. And here, I'll tell you, I'll tell you a funny quick story. So, like, we were running 5 on 0. You know, the young guys kind of just have to sit out, you know, watch and learn. And I think I subbed in for, like, 48 or whatever, right? So, it's basically the starters and me. And it was a play, like a post-up play. And, um, you know, they throw it in the Vucevic, who's, you know, like the all-star, you know, our all-star center, the leader of the team. Yeah. And I'm opposite wing, and he's backing down. And I haven't touched the ball and so I'm like, all right, well, you know, he's gonna lay it up. I'm almost like, like, you know, walking off the court. He throws a skip pass to me, and Charlie, the ball had to have grazed my face. Like, I watched it go out of bounds. I'm like, there's no way you passed to me. I like, I don't know who that was to, but it wasn't that is to me. Fucking... And did so, he get pissed? Like, yeah, he was real mad. He's like, why didn't you catch it? And you know, it, it, it's moments <laughs> like that that like you just build up, and you know, you kind of get better at. But like the yeah. when we played in the preseason, my first preseason game was against the Spurs, and for a long time, my sister and I's favorite player, or like one of our favorite players to watch, was Lamarcus Aldridge. And you know, in the layup line, when you both go back to half court, and you're like, you know, you almost like face to face, like you like you know, you're back to back kind of thing. Yeah. He, it, I was the one running the half court. He was the one, you know. So like, I was like, yo, it's fucking Lamarcus Aldridge. I'm like, shit, it's fucking Lamarcus. And then DeRozan was out there. I was like, man. And I, it was like a minute for me to like finally like get my bearings back. But, you know, it, 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 I feel like it's cool. Like, you know, last game I, I saw Kawhi and Paul George up close and got to see like right, their greatness. Yeah. And every day, you know, I get to see the greatness that is Ross and Vucevic and Gordon, you know, and just get to learn from those guys. And so now like my mindset has changed to, 
Like, I want to be on that level, you know, like, I want accountability to have to be counted on every day to win, you know, I, like, I, I, I'm no longer okay. Well, let me not say okay, but like, I know my position, I have to learn still to get better. But you know, I, I, right. I'm striving for that, for that, you know, like, I, I want to be the, the guy that the rookies are like all stricken by, and who have who has put a resume together that like, is so awe inspiring. I love that. That's super fire. That's yeah, that's crazy, dude. I, I would never be able to. I just, I would just be tripping out. I would just be tripping out if I saw Lamarcus Aldridge. I'd be. I'd like. I don't know what I would do. Well, who's your I don't know what I would do. LeBron. That's a different yeah, I story. Only, I if I saw LeBron, I'd pass out. Were, I can only imagine if you and Jake played and uh, you guys were on the. You had to guard LeBron or something. Would you just let him score? I, I just. Do, I just. I, I would literally. I would literally stand in the paint and just hope he missed. I would do uh, everything in my power to try to stop him, and I would get destroyed. But I would, I would try 150%. I know his tendencies. I've watched a lot of, I've watched a lot of tape on LeBron. I'll tell you that. A lot of tape. A, a lot of tape. A lot of tape over the years. <laughs> he, I, when I see his, you know, I see his right foot angled at at a 38 degrees. I know he's coming with that crossover and then a step. I'm, I, I'm going to be two steps ahead of him the whole time. Yeah. All right. Well, Vic, right, I know you got to go. <laughs> Actually, yeah. All right. Let, let me, I, ask, let me ask this question to both of you. You know, I've, I've had a couple interviews and I've, I've asked this to everybody and you can't dance around it. Who are, who is your MVP this season? Your most improved player, coach of the year mm. and mm-hmm. defensive player of the year. And I don't really even want to hear Jake. Jake. I feel like Jake's just going to say Blake. Hold Jake, on. you go first. All right. I'm going to go first. My heart says LeBron, but okay. I got to say, I would go Giannis. I just think what he does in a regular season is terrifying. Um, I think his efficiency, the fact that he improved from last season is remarkable. And I think that he deserves that recognition. Um, yeah. I'd say AD, defensive player. I just do. Um, coach of the year is tough. I honestly like, I want to say Miami Heat, like Eric Spolstra or, okay. um, or like the Raptors coach, Nick Nurse, because they're still right. very relevant considering they lost the best one when the, top two players in the NBA who might be the best player in the NBA. Um, I think the fact that they're still relevant is incredible. And then most improved. I don't know. Um, that's a tough one. I'm not really sure. I haven't given much thought to most improved. Well, I'll tell you right now. My I think most improved is Joker is Joker is terrible. That's those are good. Those are two good ones for sure. Charlie, what's You're yours? You're saying Jokic? I, I just think Jokic is incredible. I, I just I'm blown away he's by Jokic. He's not Jokic. most improved though. But if no, he's, he's not, not most he's, improved. he's not. He's but not. I'm just giving great. him a nod. He's great. Uh, I'm giving him a nod. Okay. Um, my 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 MVP is LeBron. Okay. I, uh, my defensive player of the year is AD. All right. My most improved is it's probably Brandon Ingram, but I think you could make a case for uh Fred VanVleet. But you're not um, saying Bam Adebayo? I think he's in that conversation. I do think it's Brandon Ingram, though. Okay. I think Brandon Ingram's the, the winner. That's probably that. fair, considering he was an all-star. Yeah. I, I also, by the way, I think another person in that conversation, and it's sort of weird, but I think Pascal Siakam's in that conversation, even though he won last year, won that award last year. I think he is... Um, he's taken another like enormous leap this year. Because he's, you know, he's the guy on that team. But, but I do right. think it's Brandon Ingram. 
Um, and coach of the year, I think is, I think it's Nick Nurse. Yep. I think it's Nick. Uh, although, although the, uh, what's the, what's the, I don't know his name, uh, the coach of the Grizzlies. It's Tony. Uh, is it JB Bicker? Is it Bickerstaff? No, it's, JB it's Tony, is, it, is it Tony Douglas? It's something like that. It's, it's not JB Taylor Jenkins. Taylor oh. Jenkins. Taylor Jenkins. Oh, me. He he. So I mean, I think with the, what he's been able to do with that team and and that with the talent they have, not that the, the, their players aren't good, but I think it's pretty remarkable. It's a young, um, but I do think Finger. It's a really young team. It's a, and they don't have a star. John Morant's not a star yet. He's not even an all star. Um. So I, but I do think it's Nick Nurse because they're so good and still title contenders even after losing Kawhi. And then rookie of the year is Ja. Well, all right, Vic. If I'm you have to go, you're good. All right, Vic. Love you. Charlie, thanks for joining. Always good to see you. Peace, Vic. Thank you for having me. All right, much love. Talk to you soon. And then, Charlie, uh, so what was your question for me? I have two questions for you. Uh, one, where do you put your Crossroads Volleyball MVP trophy? Where do you put yours? All right. Oh, wait. Okay. Sorry, 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 sorry. I didn't – sorry. Now I'm remembering. I was – You don't have one. Okay, okay. You don't have one. Yeah, 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 yeah. Sorry. No, I just <laughs> – that's on me. My bad. Uh, yeah. My other question, though, my other question to you mm-hmm. is, uh, what is what? How has COVID affected Bristol? I mean, like, are you guys yeah. are you guys able to like produce clothing right now? So when the virus broke out, um, we were actually gearing up for a pretty crazy year, considering in 2020, from January till March, the beginning of March, we had been to Paris. We had been to New York, uh, Chicago for All-Star Weekend and Portland to, to kind of end off the travel, um, before gearing up to go to Asia for the first time. Um, so oh. we were, and then coming back to Paris in <clears throat> January. So we were really getting prepared to kind of go all in. So once the virus happened, we shut everything immediately. The website was closed because we just felt as a brand, um, with our values that it didn't seem right to be selling clothes to people when they needed money for essential items and food sure. yeah. um, and just to take care of themselves. So that was just our personal stance. Um, so we, we pulled back from that. Uh, we just kind of kept the website closed and things got affected. I mean, like we have delivery dates for fall winter 20. So we have delivery dates for fall winter 20 stuff that got pushed back a little bit. Um, we haven't been producing so much clothing. We've been focusing on storytelling which is really what allowed for this podcast to happen mm-hmm. because this is something I'd wanted to do, but just didn't have the time to do, especially being on the move so much. But it gave me the time to to focus and practice it and troubleshoot and just learn how to, to go through the process. So for us, it's really just allowed us to work on the things that we didn't have time to do before. And mm-hmm. now we're starting to get back into production um, and working on partnerships again. So it definitely slowed us down a little bit from one standpoint, but it also gave us the ability to really think carefully about what we put out into the world. I like that a lot. Well, I ho- I hope that when the when the time is right, you guys start releasing new stuff again because I'm I'm psyched <laughs> on it. And you know you know I uh, you, you know I stan- you know I stan uh, <laughs> Bristol. As we got do some my fans. Parents. I know we yeah. got some fans. Well. Thank you for taking this time to get on this podcast. Um, we really appreciate it and are looking forward to having you back down the line so we can talk about all your future success. Well, thank you for having me, bro. Uh, I miss you. I'm, nice coming, I'm actually coming, I'm coming to LA soon, so we'll hang out. All right. Let me know when you're out here. All right. Much love. All right. Take it easy.
This podcast is presented by Bristol Studio. Sound editing by Rashad Allen. Music by James Grissom. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.